0: Hey there everybody, welcome to another episode of the Home Class Movie Chat, episode number 27 to be precise. (coughs) Now I know we've had a a fair amount of break in between, as they say, a long time between drinks. But I'm going to try and get us back on track and start to at least bring out a couple of episodes um, in pretty quick succession. And I would say that uh, almost immediately they'll be dropping every Tuesday from now on about 9am so we'll see how we go you know we're coming up to Christmas and we've got some you know a fair amount of stuff going on and Kat is extremely extremely busy so this is why I've taken over a bit of the uh home class movie chat um recording as they say but I'm going to get us back on track and start releasing because I know there's one or two of you that would like to start hearing some episodes and I think it's about time we start doing that so today we're actually going to be reviewing the 1982 movie Class of 1984. Does that sound really strange that it was released in 82, but it was actually the Class of 1984? I think it was a throwback to what society could be like, and I don't think it would collapse within two years, but um, I don't think that the people that actually made this movie really understood just the impact this movie could make in future, because when I first saw this movie and I snuck it past my father and mother and I didn't get very far, I mean I was only, what, uh, 10... 12 when i was actually able to see it and Mum and dad grabbed a hold of the video except um and watched it one night and said yeah you're never going to be watching that movie well i managed to sneak it through it at 16 but um yeah at age 12 i guess i can sort of see now why they said you are not going to be watching this movie but um this movie really is more relevant now rather than back then because You know, certain aspects of this movie has really come to fruition. I mean, you know, there's a scene where kids are walking through metal detectors getting into into school. And when I first saw this movie, I'm like, oh, really? You know, seriously? Because I went to school in the 70s, late 70s, all through the 80s and into the very early part of the 90s and i never went through metal detectors to get into school but now apparently there are metal detectors going in through through school and it's like wow did this did the director actually know what society could be like you know there there's kids running all over the, the school and really you know taking control and there's drug dealing and all that sort of stuff and this is Almost like a very, very, um, it's a window into the future of what was going to happen. But, you know, I was just really quite amazed at this movie. And now I think it's more relevant than ever. I mean, there is some very, very graphic violence. Um, there is a very graphic rape scene, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, this is basically, it ties into the movie. So it's for, a, obviously, it's for a purpose. But uh, this movie itself was really one of those movies that stood out. And I, I thought to myself, well, I'd like to review this one because it really does show you how society has broken down, where where it's just, obviously now it's terrifying for, for kids and even teachers to go to school with mass shootings and stuff like that. And You've got, you know, instead of the get down and cover for, you know, earthquakes or in Australia, you know, fire or things like that, now it's like, you know... You gotta lock your your classroom doors because there may be a kid with an ak-47 assault rifle on the other side of the door you know shooting people so i think this movie is more relevant now and it's it's very very good um and yeah as i said we'll, we'll get into that um as we as time goes on but there are a couple of very outstanding um movie stars in this now i didn't realize this because obviously when you first see this you know you you don't really pay attention but you know, as a kid, but now as you look back, you're like, oh my god, there was some, there was two actors that stood out that are actually superstars. The first one being Roddy McDowell. He was absolutely awesome. You know, I mean, it was just such a shame that he passed away, you know, but obviously, as you know, you're getting old, you can pass away, obviously. Um, and the second one was, and he was credited as Michael Fox. But in actual fact, this was Michael J. Fox, a very tubby, a very, very young, uh, Michael J. Fox, but he was not, you know, marked as J. It was just Michael Fox. You know, it's the same as like there's a movie Tough Turf that we may get to. I don't know. Um, and that was with Robert Downey Jr. on it, but in the movie it was Robert Downey. So it's before they really hit their stride. But this one, yeah, a very tubby. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that. I'm not trying to be rude, but yeah, a very tubby and a very young Michael J. Fox. Um, yeah, this movie uh, was, as I said, it really is um, a, a window into the future, and I think, as I said, the guy who actually made the movie, Mark Lester, really had a, had an insight about what was going to happen. Now, the movie basically goes for 94 minutes, and it is facing from start to finish its you know, constant. Um, the budget was $3 million, but it didn't, I, I can't find out exactly where, um, how much money it made at the box office. But it has actually um, grossed as far as a bit of a cult following now. Um, So, yeah, I'm actually really, really excited to, to preview this. But before I do, I always love to play the trailer, so I think we should listen to that now. Class of 1984. Of 1984, their only goal is power. I run this school, man. Their only law is survival. If you want to survive around here, you have got to learn to look the other way. Their only allegiance is to themselves. I'm still believing all that bullshit that holds it together? I pledge allegiance. Otherwise, you'd have done me right, like this. Hey, look what he done, man! Sure. He's tried to kill me. Somebody's got to stop this insanity. Well, you simply cannot afford to fail this class. Now, what is the answer? Oh. I am the future. I am the future. Ah! I am the future. But you've taught before, and nothing like this has ever happened. All right, I got to deal with it. Who's going to protect you? Yeah. Look He's one man trained to deal with students, but they've pushed him to the limit. They've gone too far. Now he's going to give the class of 1984 the lesson they deserve. Ah. Class of 1984. Is this the future So the film used the punk look and image that was becoming popular in the early 1980s yeah i don't you know a lot of people say the 70s was bad and the 80s was just a throwback to that <laughs> i mean i i actually grew up in the 80s so i actually didn't mind the uh, the 80s look i would have actually would have loved to have been uh more of a uh yeah in my i don't know 18 19, so i could actually go clubbing in the in the 80s that'd be awesome um, the song I am the future was performed by Alice Cooper and the film was also featured a performance by Canadian punk band teenage head who gives a flying diddly so the beginning of the movie it opens up with Andy Norris which is he's a high school music teacher uh, at a troubled inner city school now as he's driving along you can see you know the, the lovely streets you know he, he's just driving enjoying himself and there's cutbacks to the school to where he's driving to school you see you know kids basically walking around almost like they own the place um there's graffiti absolutely everywhere on the front of this building there are kids that are walking through metal detectors to get into school and uh they've even got a on uh there's a faculty car park they actually keep as a safe lot for um obviously the staff but uh, they changed the, the sign to Faculty Car Park. So I was like, yeah, okay, good good work. This is where the you know, the, the high school's really going all out to actually help these kids. You know, there are some that are just, just complete losers. And you know, Andy Norris, he's driving to school, now he's the he's the main person of this movie. He's driving to school and you start to see that his uh his commute is getting more and more depressing. Um it starts off in very lovely, you know, streets and you know, tree lined streets and things like that. By the time he gets to, to school, he's basically driving into a war zone in Af- in Afghanistan. I think Afghanistan would probably be even be better than this this school. Um, he arrives on his first day and meets fellow teacher Terry Corrigan, which is the incomparable Ruddy McDowell. And he's such a great actor. I mean, you can see... That he was professionally taught um, theatrical um, speech and things like that, because he really does bring himself into this role. And he actually went after this. He actually went into uh, Fright Night, which was awesome. Love the original Fright Night. Um, and he he actually as as you know, uh, uh, Andy's getting out of his car and he's you know locking the car and he's walking towards the the school. He goes past um, Terry, who's got a handgun in his briefcase. It's like, oh, okay. So as we're walking to school, you know, we are starting to, you know, the music's starting to drop down, and we're now starting to have a bit of dialogue. And, um, you know, Andy's just walking to, you know, walking up to the, the front of the, of the school, and Terry's like, uh, I know who you are, you're, you know, um, this substitute teacher. And he goes, yes. He said, oh, I'm, you know, uh, Andy Norris. And he goes, oh, Terry Corrigan. And he says, oh, by the way, what's the what's the gun for? And he goes, where have you been teaching lately? And he goes, well, really, nowhere. And he goes, ah, it figures. Come on, I'll show you in. And so as you get into the front door, you know, the, this, this whole thing of like kids going through metal detectors. And um, as they're getting towards the the front of the school, it's like, oh, boy, this is just getting worse. I mean, the graffiti is getting worse. And now you've got security guards standing at the front entrance. And they are picking kids out of the the lineup, you know, as they walk in. You know, the, the, it'll alarm and they'll just be like, okay, and do a full body search. And finding you know straight razors and bloody you know you name it they're bringing it in other than guns and um so you know Andy does bring it up again like you know why is it that you didn't have the firearm and he goes listen I definitely assure you that you are going to need some sort of protection and he goes do you know any moves and he goes moves what do you mean moves and he goes you know jujitsu you know jujitsu boxing karate and he goes and of course Andy's like uh no I swing a nasty baton and he's like ah hmm, that's good but that's not going to help you there <laughs> so Andy is really shocked when he gets into the school and finds that everyone is being scanned by metal detectors and being frisked he spots a student with a straight razor because he's as he's uh you know uh, one guy's being patted down the guy behind him passes a straight razor around the metal detector and uh he basically you know and he says oh know, that that kid you know god that kid's got a straight razor and he's like yep too late now and he says to you know um about this to, to terry and he goes did you see that and he goes what and he goes Kitty was passing a straight razor and he goes, no shit. And he goes, listen, if you need, if you want to survive around here, you have got to learn to look the other way. And then he's like, but they were doing that. And he goes, yeah, I know that. But he said, what are you going to do? The security guards are so overworked and overwhelmed by the whole thing. What are they supposed to do? They can't chase down absolutely everyone. So I was like, you know, too bad. You know, you just, it's just, it is what it is, unfortunately. So the halls of the school are absolutely covered in graffiti. So it's basically like the janitorial— just, you know, um, people who clean the the, the place—they've given up. They're like, "Fuck it, I'm maybe just clean the toilets every now and again." But trying to get graffiti off the wall because you know, Andy goes to speak to the principal, and he's basically saying to him, "Listen, you know, they basically steal anything that's not locked or not bolted down. Make sure every time you leave your classroom, you lock your classroom door." Um, and you know, the whole place is just falling <laughs> apart. And I think the administrator, as in the principal, is just wanting to get to the golden age of retirement because he's so overwhelmed. These kids are just absolutely out of control. So he does actually say to Andy that during the times that he's not um, teaching, he has to be the security guard. He has to patrol the halls and he has to patrol the washroom as in the bathroom and stuff like that. And he goes, and of course, Andy says to the the, um, the principal, "Listen, you know, I'm I'm here to teach. I'm not here to do, be a security guard. That's what the security guards are there for." And the administrator is like, "Listen, they are already, you know, on teacher salaries. We're all going to have to pull our our weight around here. And you know, wherever you were teaching, forget where you were teaching. You are now at Lincoln High School, and Lincoln High School is falling apart. You need to be there for the students. You need to patrol. Too bad. Too sad. Bye bye. It doesn't matter." We are trying to get through as many kids through the system as possible. And it's a lot of these kids are getting through with just I don't know, D grade educations. I mean they're really basically trying to fill in eight hours of their day so they go to school. Half of these kids are, you know, drug dealers, they've all got their own businesses on the side. So why they're going to school, it's almost like it's a prerequisite. Now, a lot of these kids they look like they're in middle age. <laughs> they really do. They don't look like they don't look like kids at all. I mean, there are some hairy kids in this school i swear to god they're the hairier than most adults are but um it's like you know it is what it is you've just got to suck it up andy you got to deal with it this is what's happening so he's like all right so his first class a group of five disruptive students are rough housing and causing trouble so he goes into his music class because andy norris is the music teacher and that place is falling apart there are kids that are standing there or sitting in their their rows just waiting to um the class to start and of course andy just walks in and These other guys are just, they're really causing some drama. And he basically says to one of the guys, listen, are you supposed to be in this class? And he's like, no. And he goes, well, do you mind getting out? And he's like, no. And that's it. He doesn't mind getting out, but he's not going to go anywhere. And so he gets, and he gets everyone to sit down, you know, basically where they are. And of course, these five kids really start making a bit of a, a drama, you know, and they actually the the leader of this, this gang, um, Peter Stegman, who's the main antagonist of this movie, um, he throws up a Hitler sign, uh, like you know, he speaks German and he ho- holds up the old Heil Hitler sign. Um and one of the guys, um now I think the guy's name is Toolbox. I need to find that, that this out. Let's see it. Let's see what the the kids um the actual characters' names are. Okay, so you've got um Timothy Van Patten, he plays the role of Peter Stegman. You've got uh, another guy, Stefan Agrim He's drugstore, and you'll come to see why as we go along. Uh, Michael J. Fox is only credited as Michael Fox, and he's Arthur. Then you've got Roddy McDowell as Terry Corrigan, Keith Knight as Barnyard. So he's the guy that he's a very overweight guy, um, and he has a he always has t-shirts with swastikas on them. So if you're easily offended by Nazi memorabilia, please don't watch this movie because it's going to really upset you. Because Peter Stegman, at the very first time that Andy Norris, which is Perry King's uh, character, um, throws up the whole Hitler sign, everyone does it in the in the group, as in in their in Peter's gang, um, and it will actually traumatise you. It really will. You've also got Lisa uh, Lengol Langolis, She's Patsy. Um, she should really be called um, Trash from um, Return of the Living Dead because she is an absolute little slut. And Neil Clifford is Fallon. Fallon is basically like um, the muscle. Even though you've got Barnyard, who is a very big, overweight guy, um, if push came to shove, I mean, he's, he's not, you know, adverse to throwing down hands. I mean, he loves to get into a fight. He really does. But the the uh, main enforcer in this group, outside of Peter Stegman, is Fallon. Fallon is um, rather intimidating. He wears, you know, the, the black leather and, you know, the knuckle dusters, and he's got the chains and everything, and he's really intimidating, you know, so... Fallon is one of those guys that really, you know, comes to the forefront. And so, you know, Mr. Norris really w- understands that Peter is the leader of the group. So he goes to Peter and he says, listen, you know, you're supposed to be in this group. So you're supposed to be in this, cl- in this class. Everyone else needs to get out, and he goes. Well, no, no, they stay with me, and then they start creating a bit of a drama about you know this, and then Peter starts to walk out, and of course, uh, you know, Annie is saying to him, "Listen, you're supposed to be in this class, you know, come back here," and he goes, "You yeah, know, come here back here and sit down." And of course, you know, Peter throws the sit down, "Sit yourself down, motherfucker," and walks out. And uh, so, of course, you know, Peter, uh, you know, Mr. Norris does say, "What is the matter with you?" And Peter comes back with, "What's the matter with me? What's the matter with matter?" and walks out, and, and of course, you know, they, that's the end of that scene. And you know, Andy is basically trying to work out, well, wow, that was that really went down well, and he actually says to the entire class, well, wow, I made a, certainly made a hit with them, didn't I? Um, so the only member of the gang that's registered in the class, as I said, is Peter, and he comes out to be a very, very talented kid. Um, there is a scene that comes, they're just coming, and Timothy, Timothy Van Patten is actually a pianist, and he actually wrote a piece of music designed just for this movie. Um, so when you see him come to the forefront of a very talented young guy, it's like, man, you are wasting your talents. I mean, I understand, you know, you're socially, economically downtrodden, you know, um, and you are very heavily into the drug trade and stuff like that. But if he could find some way of getting out of that, Peter would really be an amazing musician, um, a composer and, you know, a pianist, something like, I mean, he, he, he plays the piano beautifully. So it's like, you know, you see this happening, you're like, oh my God, this kid just needs some direction. You know, I, and look, I, I loved going to school. No, actually, no. Let, let's be honest. I fucking hated going to school. I really did. Um, because I didn't overly apl- apply myself all that well. I was too busy, you know, thinking when lunch and recess was coming and when I was going home. My eight hours at school was basically just a waste of time, really. Um, but obviously, you know, in that time, you had to go to school. And, of course, when I went to school and I went to public and private, you know, I called everyone sir and ma'am or by, you know, Mrs. Such-and-Such or Mr. Such-and-Such. These kids are just, there's no fucking way in hell they're going to be saying, oh, Mr. Norris It's basically just like, fuck, I'm just going to tell you that you're a fucking moron, you know? So, um, the two characters, um, now, Michael J. Fox's character, Arthur, and he's got a friend by the name of Deneen. Now, Deneen and him are not an item, they're just best friends. Um, and it's discovered that Denine has been actually substituting for the teacher that was there uh, to begin with, who, who left, um, and she's been conducting the class. So uh, there was a piece of music that was in front of all the kids, and, and Michael J. Fox, and you can, you can see where Michael J. Fox in his, um, in his acting was going to go, because shortly after this, he made his breakout in Family Ties. And you can see the star power that he had that was coming to the forefront, because his one-liners are just basically on their mark. They're very, very quick. And so when I saw this movie, I'm like, man, this is where it all started. You know, this is where Michael J. Fox came to his, his own. And um, so Andy Norris says, well, you know, what have you been playing? And then he, it, they tell him. And he, he goes, okay, well, can I have a bit, of a bit of music? And he go you know, like, as in, you know, the, the sheet music. Sorry, I'm dropping shit as I'm uh, doing this podcast. <laughs> Sorry about that. Now, as um, I was, when I was talking about the whole introduction to the class, um, Mr. Norris basically starts asking certain kids their name and what, what they, you know, they play. And they get around to um, Arthur. And he says, you know, um, so you know what? What's your name? And he goes, oh, Arthur, and I play the oboe. And he goes, if you don't know that's a trumpet, then we're all in trouble. And he goes, oh my god, they've been lying to me all this time. And then it's basically he points to the drum kit, which is the the old dun dun. And um, he says to um, Denine, uh, you know, what do you play? And she says she did, lists a, a you know a group of um, you know instruments that she plays. And he goes wow is there anything you don't do and of course michael j fox comes back with yeah she doesn't put out and it's like but you know she can she's been conducting the class and she's been teaching us how to play our instruments better and doing music and stuff like that and it really is wow there are some really talented kids and even in the class even in the the um, the music class there are some really talented kids they just have to get over you know it's unfortunate they've got to get be in this school where everything is falling apart there is drug deals There is gang fights. There is just, you know, assaults and stuff like that. Um, Security guards running all over the place and the kids running over them. And it's like, you know, what a place to come to. You know, it really is. So Andy, he gets to know the school in the area. He decides that he wants to put together an orchestra with his advanced students. So he basically says to everyone, listen, you know, I'm thinking of doing a class, uh, you know, orchestra to go to the national finals. So you can win prizes. You can win money and and all the kids, you know, when they first hear it, it's like, you know, Andy says, okay, so you, you know, we'll go to these, these, these uh, state finals and you'll earn, you you could win a trophy. And they're like, huh. And he goes, um, prizes? Hmm. What about money? Yes, everyone jumps up and is like, yep, okay. That's the, that's the word, money. And he goes, listen, you'll all have to take, you know, a, uh, a course of sight music to make sure that everyone is playing what they say they can play. But, you know, this is the way we're going to do it. Um, so, of course... As the cut the uh, the scene cuts out, you know, you've got Peter Stegman and his and his group, and they're walking through the, the school halls now. Classes are in session, but these kids are basically just running the school. And uh, sees an African American guy by the name of JoJo, and he's actually selling some drugs to um one of the girls, you know, like a, a girl on uh, near the some lockers. And JoJo actually happens to look down the hallway and sees Peter Stegman and his gang coming towards him, and he just hightails it. So, of course, you know, Fallon runs like mad. Now, Fallon is amazingly fast. And uh, the actor who plays Fallon, he did some amazing um, stunt work as far as just, you know, jumping over things and sliding under things. And he really, you know, he was very, very um, athletic as far as this these roles go. And they happen to catch Jojo and they take him into a bathroom. And, of course, Peter Stegman's already, you know, in there and basically tells the kid that, you know, we are... The, and, I apologize because I do not like using this word, but this is, you know, culturally appropriate for this part of the movie. So he's basically saying, you know, um, about the fact that he's been told to sell drugs. And he goes, well, I'm sorry, but, you know, uh, you know, we are the only niggers in this school that sell drugs. And uh, he basically says, you know, if, you, if I, I was told to do this and if you don't let me do it, then um, this other guy who's part of, his, the, of JoJo's crew He's gonna come and kick your ass and he goes, Okay, well that's fine, just let get in to meet us after school, Negro. And they proceed to beat the shit out of him, leave him in the bathroom and basically rob him and take all his money. So it's like, Holy shit, you know, it's absolutely amazing this 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 school's just absolutely falling apart with these kids. Um so Peter decides that we're gonna play a bit of a, a bit of a prank on the new teacher, and they he gets Patsy to go and steal a registry book with all the teachers' names and addresses and phone numbers in the book. And they proceed to drive to Andy's house, and they park a little bit down the road, and um, Andy and his wife happen to, to come home from, you know, being out at dinner and see a car that's got their lights on, you know, just approach them and then pull over a little bit further, and just sits there, and he goes, hang on a minute, this, this could be something, you know, from these could, could be kids from the school. Just just give me a moment. The wife's like, come on, let's go inside. And he goes, no, 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 let me just, let me go and have a look. So he goes over to the car, and of course they're all just sitting facing front. And he goes to, and of course you know Andy says to the kids, um, "Can I help you with anything?" And the kids all turn around and look at him, and they've all got you know hideous face masks on, and they squirt him with stage blood and drive away, and it is you know straight into his eyes and all over his clothes. And of course the 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 wife comes over and goes, "What was that?" And he goes, "Oh, it's just kids from the school. They played this, they did this stupid prank. They fired this blood at me, they like." And of course the wife's like, "What?" idiots and he's like yeah he said you know but you know they're kids what are you going to do and this is the whole thing it's it's all revolves around oh they're kids they they don't know what they're doing of course they know what they're doing they're trying to kick your ass at the moment you know they're giving you a warning right now um and they certainly do taunt him of course then the camera then falls back to us following peter and his group into a nightclub which is absolutely all over the shop There are kids slam dancing and i've never been a slam dancer and i don't believe i ever will be not at the age that I am now, I can you know get out of bed. I'm okay. But other than that, I'm not going slam dancing. But this is where you get to see the uh, Canadian band Teenage Head, who actually did a uh, guest appearance in this movie. I don't know the band, never heard the band, never even saw the band after this. So if you if you want to go and look up to see if Teenage Head is still around, um, yeah, by all means, go ahead. I'm I'm not interested. But of course, then you follow Peter Stegman and his group, and they've got um, a drugstore set up in the back of this nightclub. And there's a whole lot of people that are waiting to see Peter. And um, uh, Barnyard goes out and grabs this young young kid and goes in. And uh, Peter says, you know, what's your name? And he goes, oh, my name is Vinny, And I'd like to work for you guys. And he goes, well, how old are you? And he goes, I'm 14. And he goes, hmm, okay, well, listen, Vinny, you know, stay in touch. But right now we're okay and we'll see how we go. And, of course, then Patsy goes out and he she grabs this rather, well, a punk-looking girl and says this, this is a girl who's a coke whore. That, you know if you supply the toot she'll hook for us and of course peter goes oh well, this is rather nice and he says to her um so you know you want to you know work for us and she's like yes i do or, you know you you supply the drugs and he goes well okay well i'll give you a taste test of what um what you're you've got in offer so drugstore gets her to snort a line of cocaine she's like oh that's yeah it's very nice and uh, of course patsy then says to peter you know why don't you get her to take her clothes off and of course peter's like yeah take your clothes off and uh so the young girl strips down to absolutely zero i mean you get to see 80s bush right in front of you and it's like and this is probably one of the reasons that my mother and father probably watched this movie and went yeah he is not watching this at age 13 um no way in hell <laughs> he's not watching this movie um so peter says well and of course and the girl says well do i get the job and he goes yeah well first you've got to go through tryouts And he says fallon and of course fallon's like laying on a couch and he's like yeah and and peter then says to fallon you want to come and check out this merchandise and he goes yeah all right so he goes over to the girl and he says um you know have you got got a few minutes and it's like a few minutes yeah that's basically a young (laughs) a young guy would do you know a few minutes of your time and takes her in the back to basically fuck her. and patsy not being backwards and coming forwards goes oh i'm gonna i'm gonna watch and you know (laughs) and follows fallon into the back to watch fallon basically screw this girl and drugstore comes up with a very interesting little synopsis which is up another day another dollar you know and they are making some quite a lot of money because he does say peter does say in the um in one of the scenes that uh, before jojo got into his playpen he was earning three thousand dollars a week now he's earning two thousand dollars a week so you can see that you know jojo's you know whole lineup of being a drug dealer in the school is really cutting into peter's bottom line so he's going to try and rectify this situation and this is why um peter does say to to jojo make sure you get you guys meet us after school so we can basically kick the shit out of you you know so you know as a normal situation they end up by meeting jojo and his gang at, you know after school in a uh, an abandoned like parking lot and it's almost like you know it's the age-old thing you know, it's the stand down of like you know how you know, you harassed my friend um, at school, so I'm going to cut you. And basically, it was just a big gang fight and it rather graphic as far as the beatings go. And uh, then, of course, when the police get there, like like most people who are, um, what do they call them? Cowards? They run away with their tails between their legs. And, of course, Peter and his gang just run away, um, leaving poor Jojo and the other gang to basically take the rap for, for what they ensued. So... At school, Andrew is confronted with more and more evidence of Peter's crimes. And it's pretty obvious what you know Peter's doing. He's running around the school, you know, um, drug dealing and doing basically whatever he wants to do. Um, you know, Forget about the spray painting and shit like that. That's small fry compared to what um, Peter's getting up to. The two grow increasingly at odds. Well, of course they would be because Andrew, being the teacher, is trying to teach these really great kids, you know, music and stuff like that. And, and Peter is just at every turn trying to undermine him as a teacher and i swear to god you know he's really pushing him to the breaking point so eventually now this is probably one of the hardcore scenes of the movie there there's there's a scene where um peter is basically not peter andrew is basically sitting there talking to terry and a security guard you know comes over because of course they've they've just arrived at school and uh, the security guard comes over to them and goes um look mr norris uh sorry um, can you come up into the lab? There's been a bit of a problem. And he goes, yeah, sure. And of course, you know, Andrew's like, well, I'll go with you, Terry. They get up into the lab and Peter Stegman and his gang have slaughtered all Terry's animals, skinned them and basically hung them, uh, you know, put them through metal skewers and stuff like that. And of course, the, um, the, the uh, principal comes, you know, to see what's going on. And there is just, like, blood everywhere. And, of course, you know, Terry's trying to, you know, understand what the fuck, you know, these animals did no harm to anybody, what the hell? And uh, Andrew's like, you know, Terry, I'm, I'm so sorry, he's trying to, trying to console him. And, of course, the uh, the good old principal, which I still don't understand how he even can turn a blind eye to this, I think he's just basically just trying to get to the last part of his of his career and then get the hell away from Lincoln High School, says in, in a unanimous, you know, voice, oh, well, you know, vandalism is nothing new in this school, and is and of course, Andrew looks at him and like vandalism. This is not fucking vandalism. Are you kidding me? He's they've gone and slaughtered the entire bloody animal. You know, all the animals in Terry's lab. What do you mean by you know um, vandalism? Vandalism bullshit. And basically, you know, because these other there, there are kids that are watching through through the doorway, and he, Andrew basically pushes him out the way, and uh, happens to find um, Peter. Basically, waiting next to, next to a toilet door, and of course, Andrew, you know, grabs him and throws him into the toilet, into the toilet, um, you know, obviously in the bathroom, and starts to you know basically interrogating, you know, as, interrogating him. So, what the fuck did you just do? Like, what the hell? And of course, you know, Peter, being Peter and being a psychopath, he decides to make it a lot easier on the whole situation by framing uh, Mr. Norris, and he ends up by throwing himself into a mirror and beating himself up. So how, do, how does Peter beat himself up? First of all, he throws himself into a mirror and cracks the, you know, the front of the mirror into, you know, into his head. So he's he's got blood there. Then he decides to um, slam his head into um, the hand dryer and does does damage to himself there and then decides to uh, basically headbutt the uh, water fountain where he obviously go to get, get some water and uh, splits his lip and then <laughs> goes... He, he actually proceeds to go to headbutt himself against the concrete pile and uh in the um in the bathroom and of course at this stage Mr Norris just basically stops it and goes stop it stop it stop it and of course what does Peter do he he gets some blood from his mouth and he rubs it on Mr Norris's knuckles and basically says I oh, you did me you did you did you, you know you did me good and a security guard comes in and of course Peter's like look look what he did he tried to beat me up he tried he tried to kill me. And, of course, the security guard, what do you, what do you think the security guard's going to do? It's He's immediately going to go at the defense of Peter, and he's holding Mr. Norris back, and, he's and of course, Peter's like, you know, he's crazy, he's trying to kill me. And, of course, the, the security guard's like, you know, calm down, calm down, it's all right, it's all right. Cut to the next scene, and we're also now in the principal's office, and the principal was like, you know, um, you're lucky you're not being fired, you're just being suspended, and he goes, suspended for what? And he goes, you, you almost beat a kid half to death. And, of course, there's a police officer that's also there, a detective, who knows Peter and his gang very well. And he's like, well, you know, the, the mother's already you know starting to, to talk, you know, pressing charges for assault. And, of course, the, uh, the principal was like, listen, you know, um, let them make the first move. We don't want to show our hand too soon. So, you know, Andrew decides, you know what, I think we'd better just deal with this, you know, parent to parent. So he goes over to uh, visit peter's mother's home now peter's mum is doing the very best that she could she can um i think if i remember correctly peter's dad has passed away and she's a single mum, and she's getting ready to go out and she's looking very hot and everything and you know and she's basically had said to peter you know you've got six more parking fines where are you parking in a bus stop and he goes oh they've got no more no parking at that you know stinking school ma and she goes, that's the only school that will take you. And, you know, basically rustles his hair as if to say, you know, oh, you're a, you're a silly kid, you know. And, um, and this is the level of maturity that Peter is actually showing because he is, he's a moron, uh, but he's also a very troubled kid. And I don't know whether it would be different if his dad was in the picture. I'm not sure, but Peter is a, is a fully-fledged psychopath at this stage. And, of course, you know, there's a knock on the door, and she does say to Peter, you know, can you go and get that for me? And he's laying on the couch watching TV, and she's like, Pete, go the... You know, the the door and he's like oh come on mom watching tv and she's like she rustles his hair again as if to say oh for goodness sakes and goes over to answer the door and of course unfortunately there is um mr norris standing there wants to have a discussion with his mother with peter's mother about the fact of what's going on and uh she says wow you have got some nerve coming here you beat you beat a kid almost half to death and then you want me to just not press charges you know and she does say that, you know, Petey is, that's what she calls him, Petey, is an exceptional child. I only wish her if his father was here to see it. And I'm thinking at this stage that his father had actually passed away. And, of course, you know, Peter does say, you know, the old, the old you know, tries to really play it off one against the other and says, Ma, get, get him out of here. And she says, this, you know... How, do you know how much therapy I'm going to have to pay for to get him, you know, mentally through this? Of course, Doc, Mr. Norris does not say the smartest thing. He turns around and says, well, if he comes near me one more time, he's going to need more than a therapist. So, of course, any person, you know, rational would say, wow, you call yourself a teacher and basically tells him to get the fuck away from the door. And he, she, uh, the mother does say to Peter, you, listen, you know, go watch some TV. And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm just going to see if he's gone, ma. And he gets onto an intercom, and he's he must be you know you know talking to the to Mr Norris as he gets downstairs into the lobby, and he says you know teacher teacher you know learn your lessons, mummy doesn't like you very much, and she, and he goes you know leave me alone Stegman just, just get get the fuck away from me, and he goes well if you come here one more time I'll kill you I swear to God I'll kill you, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is revenge at its finest okay because up until this stage everything that peter and his gang have done nobody is willing to believe mr norris and it's almost like well you know say i did do it uh how are you going to prove it and it's very very hard to prove this situation so mr norris goes down into the basement into where the car park is and happens to see peter's car a beautiful cherry red um oh, i can't remember i don't even know what kind of car it is it's just awesomely gorgeous this car and decides to break into the car hot wires it and then basically drives it straight into a wall reverses and smashes the back drives it straight into the wall again and gets out of the car and decides to lock the car as he leaves this poor car this cherry car is destroyed so you know the following morning you know mr norris is sitting in his in his classroom and peter walks in and basically says you did it and he goes what he goes you did it you were the one you trashed my car and he goes well let's say i did can you prove it and of course at that stage you know uh peter's about to beat the shit beat the shit out of mr norris and of course the security guard walks in and goes you know is, is everything okay mr norris and he goes yep yeah, everything's fine peter was just leaving and of course peter just you know basically hightails it out of the, the classroom i think at that stage mr norris was like oh thank god <laughs> I mean enough trouble as it is if he goes to start beating the shit out of me and then a security guard comes in he does the exact same thing I'll be in jail you know by the end of the day so this whole thing is really starting to get out of control so um, Peter decides to exact some bit of retribution onto poor old Arthur which is you know Michael Fox's character or Michael J Fox's character and uh, he enlists the help of the young guy that was trying to get into the gang Vinny. And he says, and he's, but they're basically taunting Vinny, saying, you know, I bet you can't do it. And he's like, I bet I can. And he goes, right, well then do it. And he's basically, you know, they zero in on Arthur. They want um, Vinny to go and stab Arthur. So um, the two, you know, toughs in Peter's gang um, decide to create a massive food fight. And they, they start, it's, it's just massive. They, they walk over and they start beating the shit out of kids. And then there's a food fight. And there's a huge fight that goes on. And then, of course, Vinny then walks up and as Arthur's trying to get out of the situation and get to safety, um, Vinny stabs Arthur into the stomach. And then, of course, Peter, who's never there when it's all happening, happens to be looking out from, from a doorway and walks off. So it's almost like, hey, I didn't, I wasn't there. It does actually send him to hospital. He actually ends up by having like a ruptured spleen or something like that. Because Mr. Norris goes over to find out what the hell was going on and how's Arthur. And of course, you know, the police officer's there and he's like, you know, we can protect Arthur. That's no problem. So who the hell is going to protect you? And he's like, yep, okay, all right, okay, fair enough. After the situation that happened in, in uh, the lab, we get a, a shot of Terry sitting on uh, in in his car on a, uh, on a road. Just basically watching Peter Stegman and his uh, gang coming out of a nightclub. He's driven insane with, with the incident, um, with the animals in his lab, and he tries to run over um, Peter. Unfortunately, this doesn't go all that well because as he's trying to drive towards Peter, he clips another car, then sending that car, his car, over the side, and the car explodes into flames. So poor old Terry, who was trying to um, kill Peter, is killed in the process. He only had, like, you know, a couple of years left before retirement, so his poor wife is now, you know, a widow which is really unfortunate. I mean, it's just it's just terrible. And of course, you know, as I said, Peter is never, you know, he's, he's never in, involved. It's never his fault. It's always someone else's fault. Complete narcissist. I swear to God, and I know plenty of narcissists. So the night of the orchestra is about, the, the the concert's about to happen with the orchestra. And Andrew says to his wife, you know, Diane, listen, you know, I've got to go ahead of you. You know, do you, you, you want to come with me now? And she's like, no, no, I want to be dressed. I want to look really, really nice. So look, you go ahead You get the kids all organized and I will, you know, follow you soon after that because, you know, I want to get ready. And Andrew's like, okay, no problems, you know, and she leaves. And he he leaves and he goes to the, you know, to the school and they're getting the whole thing all organized. In the meantime, Peter's gang arrives at Mr. Norris's house and they break in through the back door and head upstairs. Now, this is probably one of the most graphic scenes of the movie. Um, Peter and his gang then gang rape... um, Mr. Norris's wife. Uh, it's a very, very graphic rape scene. It's, it's just, yeah, horrid. They end up by dragging her out of the house after the gang rape and throw her into the car, and they head towards the, uh, the orchestra recital, the, the concert. And uh, Patsy, in the, mo- in the process of uh, Peter and his gang uh, raping Diane, takes a photograph and uh, delivers it to Mr. Norris um, at the front of the podium when he was just about to start the, uh, the concert. Mr. Uh, Mr. Norris then sees that uh, this whole thing has gone down and immediately leaves to try and um, save his wife. Any any respectful man would do that. And, of course, Peter's gang um, do uh, torture a lot of the situation around with uh, Mr. Norris. They uh, fire fire extinguishers in him. They uh, you know knock him over, and they're basically really taunting him as far as the whole thing goes, like, you know, we've done this to your wife, and you can't do, do shit about it. So mr norris decides well hang on this is working against me how about this whole thing works for me and he starts to lay a series of traps the first trap is that he goes into the metalworks um, shop and traps fallon now fallon being the very tough you know leather clad guy um happens to be searching around the, the school now i've never been at a school very very late at night but i don't think it would be this dark and there's a lot of Technicolor, you know, colors throughout the, the school. It's making them very, very dark and ominous. And um, so Mr. Norris is basically in the uh, in the, the metalworks shop. And here's the door open and does see that Fallon's now inside the, the shop. So he throws a, uh, a spanner to the side to basically throw him off the, oh, he might be over here, I'll go and get him. At that stage, uh, Mr. Norris jumps out from behind a workshop bench and attacks Fallon and uh, proceeds to turn on a bandsaw. And uh, bandsaw his arm, his right arm, completely <laughs> off. And then knocks him onto the blade and bandsaws his, uh, this blade straight through Fallon's spine and kills him. And it's like, yes, number one down. <laughs> awesome. Now remember, we've got also, we've got Barnyard and we've got Drugstore and we've also got Patsy. So now the second one that happens is he goes into um, a shop. Or the, they call it the shop, which they you know do a lot of um, car repairs and things like that. And uh, he throws, uh, he pours petrol all over the ground to basically make sure that you know anyone comes in he might end up by <laughs> burning them. So uh, at this stage, a drugstore comes into the um, to the thing, and uh, there's Mr. Norris standing there with an oxy welder, you know. And of course, you know, um, drugstore does taunt him and say, you know, I we've got your little bitch Norris, and you know it was so easy too. And uh, so Mr. Norris puts the flame down to the ground as if to say to Drugstore, hey, guess what you're standing in, buddy boy. And he does look at him as if to say, really, you're going to try this? Well, at that stage, he lights it on fire and, of course, Drugstore goes up. Now, it doesn't kill him because he goes up in in flames and he falls onto the ground. Now, I don't know whether he was supposed to play the fact that he was dead or whether the actor accidentally took a breath, but he is basically horribly burned, I mean, you know, fourth degree burns basically all over his body. He basically is just one giant Krispy Kreme laying there. Um, So I don't know whether he's completely, he was supposed to be just, it was supposed to be portrayed as him being dead, but he takes a breath. So you you think to yourself, oh my God, he is in excruciating pain and he is going to die, but he's still alive. At this stage, uh, uh, Barnyard and Patsy happen to go into the, uh, the area where Mr. Norris is and they happen to see him. Barnyard being a very big burly guy does go over to try and attack mr norris and mr norris has got a uh, a wrench and smacks him a couple of times on the head and knocks him out now this stage now i don't understand this okay there's a car that's being repaired in in the shop so i'm guessing it's a school project the kids are working on a car so patsy gets into the car and starts it up now the distance is very very small it's not a huge distance that patsy's going to get a great run up but anyway she gets into the car and she floors it towards Mr. Norris who I mean now I I think she would probably only get I don't know maybe I'm trying to be conservative maybe seven miles an hour maybe nine miles an hour that's not, not very fast at all you could walk that fast um anyway jumps out the way and of course the car then careens into barnyard and pins him against the wall and kills him at which stage a car then falls on top of Patsy trapping her in the car and she's all bloodied up and stuff like that, and you can see that she's now trapped and she's going to die. So Mr Norris goes over and says to her, "You know, where has he taken taken her?" And she blurts out the roof. So Mr Norris goes up to the roof, and there's um, Peter Stegman holding Diane, his wife, uh, Mr Norris's wife, um, and saying, "You know, you, you mind now, teacher, teacher." And he goes, "Listen, Stegman, please just let her go. You know, don't don't hurt her." And of course, at that stage, he goes, "Well, if we're going to die, we're all going to die together." And has a straight razor and cuts straight across her chest. Now, um, anyone would, that knows anything about scars would know that she's got that for the rest of her life. So that's going to be a, a constant reminder of this night with Peter. So at that moment, Mr. Norris then attacks Peter, and you know, gives him a good couple of you know smacks into the face and knocks him through the skylight. Um, and basically, it's it's the skylight's right above you know basically where the uh where the school orchestra is is you know reciting and of course what does peter do at this moment he ends up by saying to mr norris please mr norris you know don't let me fall i'm just a kid you know please don't don't let me die and of course you have that one moment where mr norris looks at him and he's like oh fuck!" and you know you <laughs> can see diane saying if you fucking touch him i'm gonna knock your dick into the dirt because it's like this kid has raped me, this kid has cut me, this kid has done everything he can to create drama and hassle and shit in our life. He's killed animals, he's, he's killed Terry. If you think you're gonna rescue him, no way in hell. But anyway, you know, Peter is still trying to taunt him saying, you know, Mr Norris, please, please don't let me die, I'm just a kid. You know, I I can't you know don't don't let me die, you're my teacher. So Mr Norris then goes, Oh okay. Give me your hand, and of course now Mr. Norris reaches out for his hand. Now, as Peter goes to reach out for you know for Mr. Norris's hand, he pulls a straight razor out that he's got tucked into his pants from the back of his pants, and goes to swipe at Mr. Norris by saying "sucker." At that moment, and I think they had to reshoot this one, but anyway, at that moment, Mr. Norris looks at him and goes, "You fucking little asshole." And smacks him dead in the face, which sends Peter careening through the skylight below him, and he gets caught up in a rope and basically hangs himself right above the uh, the orchestra that's playing. The last part of this movie, there was a little um little bit of writing on the screen saying that um due to the fact that Mr. Norris could uh, that no one actually corroborated seeing Mr. Norris uh, had that had done this, um, no charges were ever laid. The movie turns to black. And that's the end of the movie. As far as I'm concerned, this is a very hardcore movie. Um, and now I understand why my mother and father who happened to see me get this movie went, yeah, no, you are not watching this movie. We are not having this. Uh, no chance in hell. But it was a very, very hardcore movie, you know. Uh, look, out of out of zero to five movie rules, zero being how do I get the last two hours of my life back, to five being it was a perfect movie and I, was, I would watch this immediately, I would give this a solid three. Uh, there are... Not very many glaring mistakes, as I could see. Um, one thing I will say is this movie is very, very fast-paced. It keeps it at a really great pace. It'll keep you entertained. You'll always be, you know, it, it's, it doesn't slow down really at any stage because of the fact that they're, they're trying to get over Peter. They're trying to get this gang dealt with, you know. I mean, it just it's just a never-ending battle with Mr. Norris, and it was it's almost like, you know, they'll always believe the kids. They won't believe the adults. You know, even when the police officer says, listen, we know what they're like. We know what this kid's all about, but we can't do anything because he's underage. He's under 18, so we can't prosecute him. It's just a matter of just watching these kids and hoping to God that they, when they get to 18, they stop their ways. Well, come on. If you're earning $3,000 a week as a drug dealer, do you really think you're going to stop suddenly at age 18 and go, well, I had a good run. Now I'll go and work in McDonald's or I'll go and you know, work at a gas station. They're not going to do that. They're just going to become career criminals. So it's it's just in that situation it's just going to become even worse. So you know when it comes to this situation, yeah, it's it's pretty much a uh, a movie that's going to keep you on the edge of your seat and it's going to keep you entertained for the entirety of uh, of the movie. I swear to God. So as usual, I think we should have some fun facts of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so the um the director mark l lester said the film was inspired by several true stories of school violence that he had read about in the papers in p- particular there was a story of a teacher who brought a gun to class to control his students the scene ended up in that movie in, in the film which i didn't actually i didn't even realize that was actually true um mark lester calls this his best film yeah okay it's not bad he also cites clockwork orange as one of his biggest influences Now, Mark Van Patten, who plays Peter Stegman, actually wrote a piano concerto that Stegman actually plays. So, I didn't even realize that he was actually a a composer. In one of his early uh, film roles, Michael J. Fox was billed as Michael Fox, since he was having a registration problem with the Screen Actors Guild. That's something I did not actually know. That was actually really quite interesting. Due to the film's uh, violence, violent content, and full-frontal nudity, Lester had a difficult time getting a U.S. distributor for the film, though overseas numerous distributors bought the film and made it quite successful abroad. So, yeah, they were able to get it uh, across the U.S. censorship and over to other parts of the world that went, yes, all right. Nearly every shot of Timothy Van Patten is done from a low angle to make him more threatening. Yep, that actually, that's actually not too bad. This movie was actually shot in 45 days. That's actually really, that's actually amazing. Um... And a real and a real life uh, school orchestra was also used for Mr. Norris's band. So I thought it was just kids, in, you know, who were t- talented. I didn't realise that. Um, and just one more before we leave. At the time of filming in 1981, despite playing a high school freshman, Michael J. Fox had just turned 20 years old. Michael recalled that when he was asked his age, nobody would believe him. That's actually understandable because if you see him, you think he's this—he's just this tubby little kid. You think there's no way in hell he's 20. But oh my god. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Home Class Movie Chat. Remember, we're on all social platforms at Instagram and Facebook at at, uh, Home Class Movie Chat, and you can also send us a direct message at hello at homeclassmoviechat.com. Hope to see you again. We'll be back with another episode next week, but until such time, we'll see you later.